0: Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 482nd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast, ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly from California. <laughs> yeah, and we think we finally got it so that the condenser mic I sent you with is participating with your computer. So you should sound better than the last episode. It's still not going to be as crisp as it would be if we were here in our studio together. But hopefully this audio is a little bit better. Yes, Hopefully. And of course, we just want to continue to thank all of our listeners for your love and support you've been sending our way. And we just ask that you continue to do that, especially this week. My dad will be going through a very major surgery. Uh, By the time you guys listen to this episode, he hopefully has been through that and everything went well and they got the tumors out, didn't have to take organs out of his body and that kind of stuff. So I tell you what, Kelly, this is, I think, you know, we've been in a lot of scary locations and creepy places and had things happen to us with ghosts and stuff. But I think this is the most scared I've ever been. Yes, indeed. And I wish I could be there with you, just like I wish you could be here with me with my dad. It's a difficult time and a lot of our listeners have been in this same boat. I know we've had a couple of our listeners lose their fathers over the last month or two. So it's just not an easy time. Uh, What do they call this? Uh, A season in life can be very difficult. Right. We're going to be talking on this episode about the Heathman Hotel. Kelly, did you ever pay any attention to that 50 Shades of Grey book and books and movies and all that stuff? I actually did not. (laughs) I wasn't into it either, but apparently Anastasia and Christian had several trysts at the Heathman Hotel, and I believe it appears in the movies, too. I haven't seen them, but OK, that's this hotel. Before we get into talking about the history and hauntings with the Heathman Hotel, we want to welcome into the Spectacular crew, Amanda, Myra and Cammie. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now this moment, Naughty.
1: The hotel industry goes back way further than you might think. Sure, there are classic properties in historic cities such as Paris and Rome, but there's a hotel in Japan that has those places beat by centuries. The hotel is known as the Nishiyama Onsen Keukon and has been in business for over 1,300 years. It's even been run by 52 generations of the same family up until 2017. This Japanese resort is located near Mount Fuji and has been in business since 705 A.D. The inn was founded by Fujiwara Mahito, and its lasting appeal is attributed to the hot spring that has been free-flowing without interruption since the hotel's inception. In 2011, Guinness World Records officially certified the Keokan as the world's most historic and longest-standing inn. Although Mount Fuji is not viewable from the resort, it is located in the same region. Obviously, over its millennium of existence, the inn has continually been updated from the initial rudimentary pools and caves, being replaced with more finished baths in wood huts and so on. The Keokon is a beautiful resort, boasting 37 rooms, a restaurant and moon viewing platform. Since 2019, they have even had Wi-Fi, and the hot baths machinery pumps 1,000 liters of naturally heated water per minute. The photographs are certainly stunning, and it is obvious why this hotel has remained popular throughout the centuries. But a hotel run by the same family with a longevity of over 1,000 years certainly is odd.
0: Kabu, I see you. Yeah, you with the little thing sticking in your ears. I'm in your head right now. Those are my fingers in your brain.
1: <laughs> and now, this month in history.
0: In the month of April, on the 2nd, in 1792, Congress passed the Coinage Act, establishing the first national mint in the United States. During the colonial period, any monetary purchases were done with foreign currency, colonial currency, livestock, produce, or other goods. After the Revolutionary War, the United States was governed by the Articles of Confederation, which gave authority to individual states to mint their own coins after the ratification of the constitution it was determined that a national mint was needed at the time philadelphia was the nation's capital and thus was chosen for the mint's location a scientist appointed by president george washington purchased two lots at arch and seventh streets on these lots a three-story building was erected which made it the tallest building in the area and the first federal building constructed under the constitution Coins began production immediately, and in 1795, the National Mint became the first federal agency to employ women, which were hired to the position of adjusters. In 1835, after the initial gold rushes in the Americas, Congress passed legislation to build three new branch mints to be located in North Carolina, Georgia, and Louisiana. Later in 1849, an additional mint was established in San Francisco to accommodate for the California Gold Rush. Other locations were established as the nation continued its growth. Today, the Mint maintains production facilities in Philadelphia, San Francisco, Denver, and West Point, and a bullion depository in Fort Knox.
1: The Heathman Hotel is one of the few remaining historic hotels in Portland, Oregon it beckons to passerbys with its red and white neon sign on the front of the entrance awning. The brick edifice signals that this is an old building, a historic building. Like so many historic hotels, this one hosted the rich and famous and has stories of tragedies and hauntings. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of the Heathman Hotel.
0: was inhabited by the Upper Chinook Indians and the Multnomah people and they found the area to be rich in fish, berries and root vegetables. This was also prime hunting ground in the Tualatin Plains. These plains inspired the nickname used by early settlers, traders and trappers, the Clearing. Tennessee pioneer William Overton and Boston lawyer Asa Lovejoy bought 640 acres that included the clearing and the waterfront that proved to be deep enough to allow this to become a port town. This was in 1843. By 1845, Overton was done with trying to tame this land, and he sold his share to Francis Pettigrove, who hailed from Portland, Maine. And that fact probably informs you where the name Portland came from. I never knew that. Did you? I had no idea. No. So Portland, Maine was first, and then this Portland was actually named for it. Portland was the largest settlement in the Pacific Northwest by 1850 and was the major port in the area for much of the 19th century. Today, Portland is known as being a center of counterculture, underground music like punk, and home to so many microbreweries that some people call this beer town. Hey, sounds great for us, right, Kelly? (laughs) Indeed. At the heart of the downtown is an entertainment district located along Portland's Great White Way. The Heathman Hotel was built here. The Heathman Hotel is located
1: at 1001 Southwest Broadway in Portland, Oregon, and was originally known as New Heathman Hotel. This name was because there was already another Heathman Hotel in Portland. Today, that location is known as Park Heathman Hotel, and it's a residential building for low-income seniors and disabled people. Both of these hotels were built by hotelier, George Heathman, the original Heathman in 1926 and the new one in 1927. Heathman was born in Iowa, but his family relocated to Washington State when he was very young. Heathman moved to Portland in 1921 and found work as a general building contractor. His first major project was building the Red Men Hall in 1922. This group was officially known as the Improved Order of Red Men, which was a secret society that formed from multiple Revolutionary War-era secret societies. Heathman went on to build several other buildings in Portland, and then he set his sights on hotels, with the Roosevelt Hotel being the first in 1924. He then became a hotel executive and formed a partnership with a man named Virgil Crum, and they would build the Heathman Hotels. Then Heathman died shortly thereafter in 1930 from a stroke at the age of
0: 49. It's like that just seems so young to die of a stroke. I know. The new Heathman Hotel was constructed from concrete and covered over with bricks, part of which are dark and light colored brick that make a decorative diamond design. Architectural firm DeYoung and Roald designed the hotel in the Jacobian Revival style, and it rose to 10 stories. Heathman's vision for this hotel would be something that would cater to the upper crust, like wealthy lumber barons, railroad magnates, investors, and politicians. The lobby had dark-hued paneling that extended to the mezzanine, and tall, arched windows allowed light to flood inside. A restaurant and cocktail lounge and commercial shops rounded out the first level meeting and banquet rooms were on the second floor. The rest of the floors had guest rooms around 224 of them. There were 1,200 workers who constructed the new Heathman, and they were all invited to a pre-opening party. I thought that was pretty cool that he invited everybody who worked on the hotel to come to the party. Absolutely. This was followed by the formal grand opening on December 17th, 1927.
1: The grand opening was a huge affair for Portland. Dedication speeches were made by both the mayor of Portland and the governor of Oregon. Business leaders and all the city commissioners came out for the event, and local radio station KOIN brought out a live band and orchestral pieces. And that wasn't just because the radio station wanted to be part of the festivities. The radio station would be calling the Heathman home. The station acquired sister station, K-A-L-E, and both used the mezzanine of the hotel for the station's. They were constantly upgraded, and by 1940, this was called the finest broadcast facility in the country.
0: It just blew my mind that a hotel would be called the finest broadcast facility. You wouldn't think of having radio stations and hotels like that.
1: No, definitely not. By 1955, both stations had moved out of the hotel. The Oregon Journal described the Heathman as Portland's newest and most modern hotel and its planning, construction, and general appointments are as modern as human ingenuity and talent could possibly make it. The Heathman was in a perfect spot in the center of all the theaters with their bright marquees. Coffee in Portland seemed to go hand in hand, and the coffee culture started here in 1900. The Heathman contributed to this by putting in the largest coffee shop in the Pacific Northwest at the time.
0: So I know a lot of people think about Seattle being a place of coffee, but definitely Portland is too. You want to go down a little rabbit hole with me? After you. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole and I've brought you with me. So I wanted to know more about Portland and coffee. And I stumbled across one of the city's oldest coffee houses. It's called Rimsky Corsa Coffee House. This location was originally a private home that was built in 1902 in the craftsman style. The coffee house was opened in 1980 by Goody Cable, and she named it for Russian composer Nikolai Rimsky-Korzakov. The interior was themed on classical music. It's a quirky little place, but also a haunted one. Talking about the quirky stuff, like I looked at some pictures there's these legs that are mannequin legs that are sticking down from the ceiling as if somebody is sitting in a dock and has their feet <laughs> in the water. So you're what? under the water. Oh, my word. <laughs> and apparently if you go in there, you have to go into the restroom because it's just something to see. The only picture that I saw inside the restroom, it looked like there's a bathtub with a mannequin in the bathtub. And I don't know if he's fishing or or what it's going on, but everybody says you have to see the bathroom. Sounds kind of creepy. Which may be why it's apparently haunted too. It does sound very creepy to me. And when I looked at the pictures, I was like, yikes. Apparently, the former owners were a couple of writers who had witnessed the Russian Revolution and they wrote about it and stuff. And they're hanging around here in the afterlife. But even if that isn't enough to make this a haunted location, some of the haunting activity is actually rigged. Tables oh, my there word. <laughs> will rotate. <laughs> Uh. vibrate or elevate. So they kind of embrace the whole idea that this is a haunted coffee house. So I don't know if it technically has real ghosts or if it's just fake ghosts or if it's a mixture of the two. But if you guys have been to what they now call the Rimsky, let us know.
1: It sounds like a blast. All right, Kelly. I have an idea for getting us out.
0: Well, I was going to say this is really interesting because we're in two different states and somehow we ended up in the same rabbit hole. Something supernatural has happened here. But what's your idea for us to get out of here? Well,
1: I'm going to guzzle this espresso right here. And then <laughs> I think I might be able to just throw you out of here. And I'll just jump out afterwards.
0: Oh, so coffee's going to be like superpowers.
1: Yeah. Why not? Okay. Here we go. Whoa! <laughs> here
0: I come. Wow. That was really something.
1: Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.
0: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.
1: Despite George's death, the Heathman family held on to the new Heathman until the early 1960s. At this time in Portland, much of the downtown had left for the suburbs and business slowed down. City leaders knew they needed to do something to reinvigorate the downtown area, so a performing arts center was planned. The Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall was opened in the old Paramount Theater. The Heathman was nearly unoccupied. The hotel underwent a major renovation in 1983 that finished in 1984 and cost $16 million. The main entrance was moved to a spot that once housed a gift shop and drugstore. That drugstore was Portland's first 24-hour pharmacy. Portland architect Carter Case and interior designer Andrew Delfino designed the interior to have new natural materials like marble and teak. The tea court was restored and a century-old crystal chandelier that was once used in the U.S. Embassy in Czechoslovakia was placed above that tea court. All the guest rooms were renovated and furnished in various pieces representing 18th through 20th century
0: styles of Biedemeyer, Ming, Empire, and Regency. The hotel was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in February 1984. Through the years, there have been multiple owners. There was the Stevenson family, the Rim Corporation of Modesto, California, the McCormick and Schmick Restaurants, the LaSalle Hotel Properties, and then finally the Pebble Brook Hotel Trust, who spent another $20 million in renovations to create a semi-formal and luxurious hotel. As part of this image, doormen are dressed as English beef eaters. (laughs) Oh, my word. That's amazing. Yeah, I was looking at a picture and it was from the front and I was sitting there going, does that? Dorman wearing a Beefeater costume and sure enough yep and the Beefeater costume thing continues inside in regards to a bronze sculpture of an English bulldog dressed in a Beefeater costume that is named Zelda oh my word I love it (laughs) yeah this is something that has to be seen there's a dog bowl filled with water that is part of the sculpture Zelda is apparently Zelda wisdom the star of a line of greeting cards And the sculpture was donated by Banfield Pet Hospital. I thought that was very unique and pretty cool. The Heathman has always been known for its fine dining. And the restaurant here has undergone many variations as well. The Heathman Restaurant and Bar was one of Portland's top restaurants and earned four stars from the Forbes Travel Guide in 2014. And an all awful menu was created in honor of Anthony Bourdain. And that's O-F-F-A-L. And awful is awful. It's inerts, Kelly. Yummy. (laughs) I mean I didn't watch a lot of yeah, I, I didn't watch a lot of Anthony Bourdain's show, so I don't know if he liked to eat that a lot. So that's why they made a menu like that, but I would not have cared for that. The restaurant underwent a major renovation and reopened in 2016 as Headwaters that specialized in seafood. Today the restaurant is apparently under renovation again with plans to open here in spring of 2023. So it should be any time now. But when I went to the website to look up, you know, what the name of the restaurant was and all that stuff, I'm like, oh, it's still closed. It's closed. They're putting another one in. So I don't know if Headwaters wasn't real popular. I don't know if it didn't make it through COVID or what happened, but they're going to have a new restaurant. I don't know anything about it. They don't give any hint as to what kind of food it's going to serve or anything. I would have much
1: preferred seafood over innards, but okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm assuming that you could like say, can I have the all awful menu, but that there was another menu, too, because I would imagine not many people are into Oregon meat. So
1: in 2011, Food and Wine listed the Heathman as one of the 21 most haunted restaurants and hotels in America. The paranormal activity at the Heathman seems to be centered on a column of rooms running from room 303 to room 1003. An employee named Fidel Semper told CBS News in 1999 that a guest in room 703 killed himself in 1975 because he couldn't deal with being blind or perhaps he fell out of the window. Okay, quite a option between <laughs> how he died.
0: Well, and I always find it interesting because in most hotels, you can't open the windows specifically for this.
1: Right. So did he find (laughs) if he fell out the window and this guy found him, wouldn't he know he fell out the window or maybe he jumped out the window? I don't know.
0: The whole legend behind this thing is so weird because I also heard that a woman threw herself down the stairwell or something from the seventh floor. So I don't know exactly what happened here, but apparently somebody committed suicide or something. And that's why we have this haunting.
1: Right. And Fidel believes that this person may be one of the spirits haunting the hotel. People hear the screams of someone falling past these rooms and then the sound of breaking glass. The guest started from 703 and ended by crashing through the glass window of the library. The most haunted room of this bunch, ending with 03, is that room number 703. A woman who was staying in room 703 came down to the front desk in 2008 and said she was very irritated that her towels had been thrown on the floor. She blamed an incompetent maid. The staff replaced the towels. Later that night, the woman found the towels on the ground
0: again. She knew no one had been in the room. So apparently, I would think she went down to the front desk since they have this added information and apologized for going off on the maid service. I would hope so. (laughs) Another interesting story told about room 703 involved the TV in the room. A guest was unwinding and jumped in the shower. After clearing the suds from their ears, they heard a familiar sound. The television was on, but the guest hadn't turned the TV on. The guest got out of the shower and made sure the room was empty and then got back in the shower. A minute later, the TV was back on again. After showering, the guests went to the front desk and reported that something was wrong with the TV. A staff member accompanied the guests back to room 703 and checked out the TV, to see if anything was wrong, but of course everything seemed to be working fine. So the staff member headed for the door. Before the staff member could leave, the TV roared back to life and the sound was all the way up. The hotel moved the guest to another room. (laughs) I would imagine. And probably went, Oh man, we always get calls to this room. I would expect so. (laughs) In room 503,
1: guests have complained of being awakened from sleep by the sound of someone crying. When they look around the room, they see a figure that vanishes once seen. Things move on their own around the room as well. A guest was once again complaining at the front desk about her suitcase and clothing being moved when she had a do not disturb sign on the door. She thought someone had entered her room without permission. The manager did a key audit so that they could identify who had entered the room. The audit revealed that the only person who had entered the room that day was the guest. The manager gave the woman a new key, but the next day, the woman reported that her clothes had been moved again. A staff member entered room 503 and saw a giant ball of energy zipping about the room. One day, a housekeeper was actually able to catch a similar ball of energy in a picture, and that photo hangs in housekeeping's break room.
0: I'd like to see what that looks like. I wish they'd had it posted somewhere online, but I couldn't find it.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see it as well.
0: It makes me wonder if she was quick enough to catch this. It must have been bouncing around the room either multiple times or for a long period of time for her to be like, I'm going to get a picture of this. Yeah, definitely. Unless housekeeping had a practice of going into the rooms that ended with 03 and just snapping pictures every so often? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, if I was working there, I'd probably be doing that. <laughs>
0: sure. I'd be going in there with equipment. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm in the bathroom and I've got the EMF <laughs> sitting right here near the sink. Absolutely. There are other hauntings going on in the hotel as well. Guests and staff report hearing strange noises and guests sometimes find that things have moved around in their rooms while they were gone in ways that a maid wouldn't move things like whole pieces of furniture. Male apparitions have been seen by numerous guests, either standing at the foot of beds or sitting on beds. That's not cool, or especially if they're sitting on the bed when you're in it. These spirits are not always seen, but sometimes felt as though they are sitting next to somebody. One guest claimed that a man had run out of the closet and then suddenly vanished. Now that would freak me out. <laughs> he ran out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> the hotel's library is also said to be a hotspot for activity. Room 510 reputedly has a crying woman in a chair. A longtime night auditor named Rob St. Helen collected stories in a packet that staff members and guests shared with him. One of the stories shared the tale of a shadow figure stepping off the elevator on the eighth floor. And there's also a story in there that there used to be this grand piano, I guess, in the hotel that people would hear playing when nobody was sitting at it. And he's recorded multiple stories in this packet of that. Nice. What would be interesting is if they still hear the grand piano and it's not there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Tom Ogden writes in his 2010 book, Haunted Hotels, about a man named Max who stayed in room 703. Max had gone out to take in some air and enjoy the city, and when he returned to the room, he saw that the maid had not been in to clean. However, it did seem that someone had been in his room. The chair at the table was pushed out and sitting to the side as though someone had sat at the table, and two of the water glasses from the bathroom were sitting on the table. Perhaps he forgot moving his stuff around. He went into the bathroom and was very puzzled to find two towels on the floor where he had only left one. Max phoned the front desk to verify that housekeeping had not come to his room, and he was told that, indeed, the maid was running behind. The desk offered to send her immediately, but Max said there was no need. Then he explained that someone had entered his room while he was away. The person on the other end of the line paused for a bit and then said they would send someone up.
0: As Max waited, he hoped he wasn't overreacting. Maybe he had forgotten moving things and using a second towel. He checked his suitcase as he waited and nothing was missing. The hotel manager and security arrived and checked the room and reviewed the electronic records for the lock. Max was the only one who had entered his room all day. The manager then cleared his voice, took a deep breath, and explained that the hotel was haunted and that this room had an unusual amount of unexplainable activity. They offered Max another room. But he opted to stay put, although there was no further weirdness. So he was hoping something else would happen (laughs) because he was actually kind of excited that there might be a ghost in there. But that was it. Yeah, that would be me. (laughs) I mean, I'd be like, okay, so I have a ghost in my room with me and all they do is dirty up the water glasses and use up one of the clean towels. Great.
1: I know. (laughs) The Heathman Hotel has stood for nearly 100 years. In that time, it has collected many ghost stories. Are these just legends, or are there really spirits here? Is the Heathman Hotel haunted?
0: That That is for you to decide. decide. Well, it sounds like an interesting hotel to check out in Portland. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com, and if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. First, we want to send out some special birthday wishes to Logan Kelly, We're going to wish him a belated birthday because his birthday was actually on the 9th, which was Easter. He turned 14. Can you believe it? Oh,
1: my goodness. Growing up so quick. I know. Happy birthday, Logan.
0: Happy birthday. Further into those teenage years. Continue to be sweet. Okay. And we did hear from Emily in the crew. Sorry for the long post. I wanted to share a fun personal story. So my husband's grandparents have both passed away. This last weekend, we brought our two kids to visit their grave for the first time. The kids had been in the car for a while, so they were running around and wrestling. I was taking pictures and got some really cute ones, but as they were playing next to the tombstones for the grandparents, these two sunbursts appeared over them. I even took a small video and the light follows the kids around, but in other pictures that are not around the gravestones, it goes away. So it seems like the sunbeam was only there, even though she was pointing the camera in the same way. I know the lighting could just be off, but it just seemed like too much of a coincidence. Another fun story about a year ago, just my husband and I stopped on our way to see our favorite Johnny Cash tribute band play. We saw them on our first date. And as we were leaving the cemetery, Johnny Cash just so happened to start playing on the radio. We used to drive grandma to the casino. She loved to gamble and we would sing and listen to Johnny Cash the whole way. Well, at the show, there was a 50-50 raffle, and we never gamble, but it was going towards a good cause, and so my husband, in honor of grandma, put money in, and bam, we won. Again, could just be a coincidence, but I choose to think that it's grandma and grandpa watching over us and my babies. Well, everybody knows what we think. Absolutely. I don't believe in coincidences ever, so if you have something that is a coincidence uh, that you think is a coincidence, No. You know, maybe it was a sunbeam or something, but I would like to believe that your grandparents were enjoying their grandchildren, and uh, I have no doubt that the gambling probably went your way because Grandma made sure. Absolutely. We also heard from Rick. He sent us an email. He says, "Hi, Diane and Kelly. Was listening to the latest History Ghost Bump, where you made mention of Venus flytraps. I once had a pet Venus flytrap. I called Volnavia, named after Vincent Price's." Femme Fatale Henchwoman in the Abominable Dr. Fibes. Unfortunately, my vulnavia was not as efficient nor sexy, not even as a henchplant. She never <laughs> caught a fly. Even when I put a dead one between the lobes, nothing happened. Ah. As far as my experience with Venus flytraps go, they are rather dumb. And I speak as one who used to own Whippets. These are small greyhound-like dogs who I consider the world's fastest couch potato. Never any trouble getting them to eat, however. I think whippets are so cute.
1: They are. And I actually had a Venus flytrap previously also. Oh, you did? Oh, it did did eat. Yeah, it did. Nice. Did it ever bite your fingers? I mean, if you stuck your finger in in the little leaves and made it close, yeah. (laughs) But it didn't hurt. hurt? Oh, no. It wasn't like the movie, Little Shop of Horrors. Gotcha.
0: It just doesn't take your whole hand
1: off or your arm. No.
0: Doesn't lust (laughs) for blood. Oh, bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Just bugs. (laughs) Well, we want to thank everybody for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to welcome into the cemetery, Myra Servan. We're going to be placing you in a chest tomb. Thank you so much for supporting
1: History Goes Bump. We really could not produce this show without our executive producers.
0: Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at History Goes bump at gmail.com. <laughs>
1: This Japanese resort is located near Mount Fiji. Oh nope. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Oh nope. (laughs) Oh man, I'm so tired. The inn was founded by Fujiwara Mojito. I want a mojito. No, I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) I just thought the same thing. (laughs) I need a drink. Coins began product Product production. Today, the Mint maintains production facilities in Philadelphia, San Francisco, Denver, and West Point, and a bullion depository in Fort Knox. And I've actually been to the Denver Mint many times. Nice. Do you know how to tell where a coin has been minted? I have no clue. When you look at the face of it, it will have a little S for San Francisco and a D for Denver and a P for Philadelphia.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah. I have seen that. I just did not know how it was related. Yeah, so that's what that's what that means.